listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome to the show. This is your host, Sterling Chapman. I'm joined today by a special guest who has a special meaning to me, and I don't think she remembers this or knew I was going to say it. But so our guest today, Tammy Dubois, has the honor of having introduced me to real estate. So when I first decided I wanted to invest in real estate, I was listening to a bunch of Bigger Pockets episodes by myself, and they suggested go find a local meetup. So I pulled up meetup.com, and it sent me to the upstairs break room of a local grocery store where Tammy was hosting a real estate meetup. And that is kind of the first place that I started to meet people and learn about real estate. So Tammy, thank you so much for, uh, for introducing and welcome to the show. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Look how much you've grown. That's crazy (laughs) to think that that was your first exposure. Awesome. So Tammy, tell us a a little bit about your past and kind of how you got into real estate investing and what your portfolio looks like today and what you're into today. All right. So we'll we'll try to keep it to five seconds or less, five, (laughs) five minutes or less. My husband and I were married in 2009, but I had been in the mortgage industry for quite a while. And then after we got married, we were looking, you know, all those little seminars. So I've always been interested in real estate, but I'm a 1099 who married a W-2, who is now, you know, moving into our mindset of 1099. And I dragged him, literally dragged him to one of the Rich Dad Education seminars. And he went because I asked him, and then he still wasn't sold on real estate because, you know, he was sold on W-2 job that he supposedly loved, but he didn't. And then I took him to the three-day seminar and I had always wanted to do real estate. Well, our three-day seminar had the most beautiful teacher, which caught his attention for three days. (laughs) And he was sold by her. I couldn't sell him on real estate, but she did a wonderful job of selling him on real estate. And then so we studied everything, right? You know, wholesaling, rehabbing, buy, hold. We studied it all. And we thought we were going to be big flippers. But of course, we're also Christian too. Okay, God, where are you going to lead us? Well, the first thing we did was a wholesale deal. The second we did was a lease option. And between those two, it gave us more money. And we bought our first fourplex in the first year. Because I was like, if we're going to write off all this education that we just invested in. We have to show some real activity. So that's how we got started. That was 2012. And here we are, 2021. We have like 42 doors and we're buy hold investors. And we've only flipped one property. And that was by accident because somebody made us an offer we couldn't refuse. So that's my story. Awesome. I got a lot of questions about it. I have 42 units too. So nice. And I'm also terrible at flipping houses. I've never, I've sold one house and it was the last one I lived in and I lost a ton of money on it. And I like, I never wanted to be a house flipper, but after selling that house, I've realized I'm not cut out to be a house flipper either. So tell me about the fourplex. Where is the fourplex and how did y'all buy it? So the first fourplex we bought is on Great Smoky in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And that is a, I would say a C plus area. I don't know. What do you think about great? Where, that's Choctaw Monterey. 
Choctaw Monterey. Choctaw Monterey. I don't have a very good grasp of North Baton Rouge. Like initially I was like, all right, I just don't want to do anything north of Florida Boulevard. And then I realized like some of my best deals are in little pockets of great areas that I just didn't know existed because I I was like immediately shutting down without even driving over there. So now I'm a lot more like open-minded about it, but I'm not familiar with that particular pocket. What are the rents go for? That's generally how I kind of good judge. So this is a two bedroom, one bath apartments and when we bought it, I think the rents, so 2012, I think the rents were like five fifty. And the lady who sold it to us was like, you're never gonna get more than five fifty. <laughs> and my rents today are six seventy-five. And we've done just basic paint flooring. We've not done any total renovation on it. So good people though, you know, good hardworking people who just need a budgetable rent. That, mm. So that's where we started. And the, the way that deal looked was we probably had $20,000 to play with at that time. And mm. that would have been like a, our home equity line of credit. And the two, what I said, the, the wholesale deal and the lease option mm. that we had done. So we went to see it back then. I don't know if that would even happen today. And it sounds like so long ago, mm-hmm. but 2012, the banker actually went and looked at it with us. What? And yeah. So the banker went with us and this particular seller was an agent. She had already had it under contract once. And I, this was like, we found this in the newspaper and yeah. And I had already seen it in the newspaper once. And then it showed up again. And I was like, we're supposed to have this. And so we went to go see it. Susan was the lady selling it and our banker whose name will be withheld because they just don't do that anymore, came out to see the property with us and she brought the appraisal and he didn't know what she was selling it for, the banker being he. So he looked at the appraisal right there with us and had walked the property and he said, I'll give you 80% of this, what the appraised value was. Right. And my husband's much better with numbers. So if my numbers were wrong, but let's just say that she was asking 90, I think the appraised value might've been 120. And then, you know, you do the 80% and stuff. And so I told her, I said, look, we don't have any money. That's our banker. He's going to give us some, but we're going to have to come up with the rest. So let me call you later and see what we can do. And I already knew we could do the deal with what he was going to give us in our 20 in the bank. (laughs) We had enough money. And we called her back the next day and I was like, I called my grandfather (laughs) and he can give me some money. So I got her down another, I don't know, like four or $5,000, even though it was really a great deal. It was a great deal, but she was done. And that was our first property. That's what that looked like. And that is still one of our favorite properties because we always have good people. You know, we've all had some challenges with COVID, but overall, I've been blessed that my whole portfolio, those people have made every effort, all but maybe two, to pay their rent and stay on time and keep me informed. So that was what our first project looked like, a fourplex in a high, I would say a C plus area with just hardworking people. Awesome. What did you do from there? Do you continue to buy kind of small multifamilies or did you pick up? Our portfolio is primarily single family. We have 
two other fourplexes and everything else, single family, mostly North Baton Rouge. Oh, no, wait. We also have some mobile homes. And I think of those as single family. Yeah. yeah. You own the mobile so, homes and- themselves. Yes. Yes. We own everything. I would love to have a park where people brought their, you know, that's the dream, have the park and have everybody bring their own really good and beautiful (laughs) brand new mobile home that has not happened. (laughs) And we haven't really sought out. Or the truth is the few times we've looked at park property, people think it's made of gold. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so we are we are really those low baller people that people hate, but we were taught if you're not embarrassed by your offer and then you move from there or, and we know how to do our numbers better now than we did back in 2012. So we make better offers and our numbers are better because we, we know what to expect. So we don't have to totally lowball people. We can give them more practical numbers. So how did you buy the rest of your portfolio. Is there a lot of rehabbing in your story or is it a lot of just kind of saving and putting down down payments? We were really fortunate in the beginning. So 2012 till about 2015 or 17, the banks would still give us 80% of appraised value. So if we were buying right, we had the occasion to walk away from the table with money from our bank. Yeah. And that stopped very quickly. So that banker caught on really quickly mm-hmm. that we were leaving the table with money and he stopped. Like he totally cut us off. That was the guy who went with us to the fourplex. He cut us off. We still have a banking relationship with him. However, we found another bank and they were doing the same thing, but they were more careful about, Tammy, you, you're not going to get any money at closing. <laughs> so, or, and then we, we, then we developed some lines of credit. We're very leveraged. I am not going to say that we are cash buyers and we have all this cash flow because we don't. We work on a margin and sometimes the margin's really tight and sometimes the margin's very generous. We have a great property on Laurel Street in Baton Rouge over by the Baton Rouge General. And it has a house and a guest house in the back. Mm -hmm. So that property, the back is 675 and the front is 850. And we paid, again, my husband's better with the numbers, but I know we didn't pay more than $50,000 for that property. So that makes up for the other ones that had the tighter margin. How is, because it sounds like a lot of your portfolios and kind of similar areas is a lot of mine. You know, what's killing me is maintenance. I feel like I've replaced every sewer line in Baton Rouge in the last year. <laughs> and it's like eating me alive. What has your experience been when you compare like how you forecasted cash flow is going to be versus like the reality of what you actually ended up spending on, on maintenance and repairs? That's a really good question. So I guess we would have thought right now with the margins that we anticipated that, you know, my husband would not still be working a J-O-B and he is, he's still working a J-O-B and it's that rat race thing. It's a really good J-O-B. So I have to generate a bigger margin, but like you, we bought in low income areas 
So there was maintenance, there was rehab, not a lot of rehab, I will say, but we've not had the margins that we thought. But my husband, Chad, is very good with numbers. So he's already done a smaller margin on everything and we're still cash flowing, but you're right. Trees. Oh my gosh. We had one year, almost our whole margin went to take trees out because trees are expensive. I'm right now I'm taking out a tree and I'm doing a tree line and now other people are doing stuff. So yeah, it's not exactly what you thought. I'm like, Chad, I, I still have a job. And if you would have looked at the spreadsheet on my like original plan, you'd think I wouldn't need one anymore. But like it, when reality sets in, like, like, thank God. I mean, it, it, like my rental income probably could get me like through a year if it was a good year that I was like super lucky during, but it couldn't have got me through the last one. You know what I mean? With all of the... So I, I definitely understand the the security of keeping the... and And... You know, my goal, and maybe y'all feel the same way, but my goal was not to kind of jump out of the frying pan into the fire. I didn't want to go from like struggling with one job to kind of struggling with another. I started investing in real estate to like compile on top of my job to like kind of launch pad me into the like really successful. Yeah. So I look at some people who immediately quit their job to go chase the next deal. And I'm like, well, hell, you're working just as hard as you were before. (laughs) You're just as stressed out as you were before. You know, the whole idea here is to take us to the next level, not to to bring us back down. Right. Well, I do want to go back to your question about maintenance, though. uh So we did. We had gotten to the point where we were doing so much maintenance all the time. I went ahead and put a guy on retainer because at first, you know, first my husband was doing all of it. And then That's we decided if we're, question. yeah, if we were going to fight all the time, we decided it was better to pay somebody. Right. So to stop the bickering, we secured a guy that had been doing great work for us, but he has a job, So that was perfect. And then we decided that we put him on like a little, I had figured out how much we had paid him the prior year. And then I said, okay, well, I divided that by 12. And I decided that, do you think this is fair? And He's like, yeah, I think that was fair. So we kept him, I'll share my numbers. We had him in 2018 for $800 a month. And it actually, the timing was so bad because we ran into a bunch of turnovers and stuff and he was working a lot. And he's like, oh, Tammy, I need some more money. So we agreed on $1,000 a month. And then it got to the point where I was finding stuff for him to do. Right. And then what it was, was that all fell under general maintenance. And then there were some bigger things that came up on more of a rehab scale. So he wanted money, you know, it wasn't, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is just not working because I'm still paying you a thousand, but now I'm paying you to build a porch on the side when you should be doing my other stuff, but I'm paying you, my husband's like, you're you're double paying him. Do you get that? So we stopped doing that and then put him back on the retainer. And I think we've taken a turn now because last year, even in COVID, I barely had to call him. Mm -hmm. I barely had to call anybody. And I think that we've prepared everything that needs to be repaired. 
That's, so, yeah. so I always, <laughs> I always say it, you know, it feels dramatic when you're going through it, but like in reality, I knew these were older properties and I knew there was deferred maintenance. And once I repair all the sewer lines, like the PVC is not going to go out for a, a hundred years. You know, I just bought a bunch of 70 year old houses that had cast iron sewer lines that have a 70 year life. So I think you're right. Like kind of once you get through it and thank God I'm going through it while I have a a W-2. You know, if I was out there living off of that cash flow, that'd be a whole different type of conversation we were having. You are correct. I, I agree. Yes. So something else that y'all have gotten into that I've heard you talk about a number of times, and I want to learn more about it. And I think a lot of our listeners want to learn more about it because I have so many people reach out to me from the show that want to know where they can get money to start, to start flipping, to start burring. And you and your husband, y'all, y'all do hard money loans. Is that correct? Correct. Can you tell me more about that and tell me how it works and how y'all got into it and how people can get in touch with you and take advantage of it and, and just give us the whole educational background around hard money loans. All right. So, you know, when you get started, everybody talks about OPM, (laughs) So, and, and we, obviously we're big believers in OPM. We've used the bank's money to buy all of our properties and we, another class, I'm, I am a seminar junkie and I've been a seminar junkie since like 1992 <laughs> and that was way before real estate. So every real estate seminar that comes along, I'm going. And then my background, like I had mentioned is mortgages. So we went to one on how to do private lending. And it clicked because I've done it. It's just, I was using the bank's money. So we decided that we could do it. And we have friends who have some money that they don't want to manage all that. They don't want to deal with all that. So they've allowed us to leverage some of their money to help other people get started. But so my money is hard because the rates are high, but it's asset-based which is pretty awesome. I look at it and go, okay, if this deal goes bad, do I want that property? And that's kind of how we we look at our properties. And that's that's what I encourage other people to do is just, is the asset worth investing in? I always tell people like new investors, like if the hard money lender won't give you the loan, that's a pretty good sign that you should walk away from the deal. <laughs> exactly. That is one of the pluses of using a hard money lender. Typically, we're experienced people. So if we say, oh, no, this this doesn't look like a good deal, you got to take your emotion out. If a hard money lender tells you it's not a good deal, that you need to just walk on and find the next deal because we've either seen it or done it or we've seen somebody else mess it up. And so that's where the hard money comes from. And then, of course, again, as a Christian, I do believe that we're stewards of other people's money. And if somebody should be using the bank, you know, we tell them that they should be using the bank. And then there's always private money. I always encourage people, if you have friends or family, that's your first resource. And of course, there's the pros and cons of that. Right. Using family. Yeah. (laughs) And we can go over that if you'd like. (laughs) (laughs) I've mentioned on many episodes, the nights of sleep I lost in the early days, wondering if the deals were going to work out with friends and family's money. I'm pretty confident now, but you know, the first couple of deals, it was a scary environment to be in. It is. And you've got to be a risk taker in this business too. And if, 
you're not taking risks, but you don't want to always take risks with Aunt Mary's money. So how does the hard money work? If somebody wants to, like, let's say somebody wants to go and start burning properties, what do they need to put down? What do they kind of walk us through the process and what's everything they need to know? So your typical hard money lender is 65 to 70% of value. So let me tell you how we do it because I really can't speak for everyone else. But the way we do it is we will lend out 65% of the as-is value and the after-repair value. So what that means is, Sterling, you're buying a house and you're a good negotiator. So you've been able to negotiate that to about 65 or 75% of what the regular value is. Mm -hmm. So that means that I might finance your whole purchase. I have one rehabber. We do all of her stuff and she buys from wholesalers. So her projects are not at 65%, but she has money. So your typical, the typical person we work with, they have money. Mm. You listen to all these podcasts and they go, oh, you can use hard money and come out of pocket. No money. That's, that's not typical. You're usually having to come to closing with a good chunk of money. I mean, you can't just call me up and say, Oh, Miss Tammy, I have a couple thousand dollars. Well, baby, that's not even going to cover your attorney closing costs. So we look at, we do 65% of as is value and then 65% of after repair value. So that means that you've given me a scope of work that shows me that, first of all, when I look at a scope of work, I know if you know what you're doing. And in that scope of work, that's considered your rehab budget. So your rehab budget is $50,000. The house is you got a deal. You found that gym that's $50,000. You're going to put another 50 in it. And let's say the after repair value is 150. Mm-hmm. So I might end up lending you, you might have to bring a big chunk of money for the purchase, but your hard money lender can probably lend you the whole rehab. Mm-hmm. And that's what the good part is because there are a lot of rehabbers out there. They're doing one house at a time because that's what they have. They have this much money and I can do one house and one house and one house, but you partner up with OPM and you put some of your money in this house and some of your money in this house. And I put some in this house and some in that house. Now you're doing two and maybe you can do three, maybe you could do five. So that's the value of a hard money lender is, is leverage. Absolutely. So that answer your question. Yeah, definitely. So what, And I do remember that because when I first started out, I wanted to use a hard money lender, but I I was very quickly educated on the fact that doesn't mean you can do it with no money. (laughs) Well, you said it's expensive money. How expensive is it? What what is the fee structure around borrowing money from you? So the going rates are anywhere from 12 to 15. And I've seen HUD statements where some of my other investors are paying up to 25% for money. Okay. And you know what? You're not worried about the rate though, right? You're looking at your numbers and seeing your return. So that's the rate. And then there's usually points anywhere from three to five points. You better be real clear when you're shopping for hard money on what the, and their fees. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I've seen other HUDs from other hard money lenders. They're charging you five points. So they tell you, okay, well, it's going to be five points and it's going to be 15%. 
and you've done all your numbers based on that, but you hadn't seen a mocked up HUD a settlement statement for those of you who are still yeah. learning a settlement statement where it shows you all your fees. And then their fees are just like, Oh, I got this $3,000 underwriting fee and this $3,000 processing fee. <laughs> and then this 7,000, you're like, what? I didn't count on $15,000 in closing costs. And you got to watch for people who are brokering for hard money lenders and upfront fees. So I've kind of come to the point, though, I may start charging some kind of processing fee because I do spend a lot of time reviewing your project, reviewing your scope of work, doing all that. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, never mind. I'm just not going to do it. (laughs) Now that you've educated me on how bad the project is and I can spend hours because I am insuring other people's money by doing that. But I do encourage people who are shopping for money to pay attention, pay attention. So there are people out there who are charging you two, three, four, five thousand dollars to look at the project and shop for money for you. And then two weeks later, they are, Sterling, I am so sorry, baby. I tried, but there's nobody who wants to do that project. But I'm you don't get your five thousand dollars back. But what I'll do is when you get your next project, I'm gonna save that five thousand dollars. And when you finally get a project that they're willing to take that will put your $5,000 towards that. Yeah. Then I see it. I use private money and a lot of people think I'm crazy because I pay so much for it, but I don't feel like I pay that much for it because I don't have the points. And and when you're working really fast, like I do, like, okay, so I could, let's say I pay 20% for private money. And you're like, you just said, oh, well, we do hard money lending for 12%. I'm like, okay. Well, obviously the 12% sounds a lot better than the 20%. But if you do five points, it's a two month project. You got to understand that the five points on two months is the equivalent of 30% over a year. So you really add 30% to that 12%, which makes it 42%. That being said, that's me because I move real fast. I know other people who take six months to do a project and for them, it very well might work out where the hard money's with the, the higher points is cheaper. And, and yeah, you're doing 20% is really nothing because it sounds like with your private money, you're getting the money directly from them or are they sending it to the title company? Getting directly to them. Exactly. That is the bonus. So, and I tell people that the bonus of private money is you get to kind of set the terms because usually it's someone who hasn't been burned yet. And they're just writing, they just wrote you a check, didn't they? They, they send you this $50,000 check. My money is just an escrow. I come and do inspections along the way to make sure you've done your work. Right. So you don't get money till after the work is done. And you're doing transactions with people you don't know. I'm borrowing money from people I've known for years. There's a difference. I, and I love that. I love that. And that's, and I've taught a class. I think I told you, I taught a class for people to, to try to source that OPM, to source that private money, whether it's Uncle Joe or it's your, your teacher from junior high. And to your point about spreading it out, there's only so much access to private money that people can typically have. And, and if they wanted to do five deals a year, people that have access to really good private money might also go and take hard money loans. So if I could find five good projects at a time, which they're, they're getting harder and harder to find, I would be borrowing hard money. You know, I, I would because I would have maxed out the private money and I would absolutely be paying that amount for 
I mean, if you're doing your numbers and your deal right, then, I mean, paying that amount for money, it shouldn't really hurt you a whole lot. I always right. tell everybody, one of the big, my big like pet peeves with real estate is people get caught up on like the weirdest little things like the interest rate or what the other guy's getting out of the deal or they basically like, oh, well, that's not interesting. My biggest pet peeve is like, pay attention to what you're making and what the difference is. So like, if you're, cash flowing $800 on a single family house. Like it doesn't matter if you're paying 10% interest, like you're not paying any of it. If you make an infinite return, we'll come back to that infinite infinite return return. based on what you just said. If you make a hundred thousand dollars on this deal, why do you care if the other guy makes 500,000? I've seen people walk away from deals where they're going to make a ton of money just because they're like some ego snag with the other guy making more money. And now they walk away making nothing. I'm like, y'all are crazy. Why do y'all keep doing this? Mm-hmm. I see it over and over and over again with, I mean, fully grown, fully educated, professional business people. I see it over and over again. It blows yep. my mind. You're right. And if you're, so you made me think of two things is don't get caught up in the numbers, especially if none of your money's in the deal. <laughs> so if you're using OPM for the whole deal and you walk away with money or you are, having a return on that money, that return is an infinite return because I didn't put anything in that deal, but I'm making $200 a month. So I'm paying the mortgage, I'm paying the this and I'm paying the that, but I'm still making $200 on somebody else's money. That's what they call an infinite return. And you shouldn't be caught up in rate. And I mean, you can be if you can shop, but if you can't shop it, don't lose the deal. Like you just said, transactional funding. I have financed transactional funding because some people will, like you said, they'll walk away from the deal because they see how much money the wholesaler is making. Well, you know, if you did your numbers and you know you're going to make money, what do you care what the wholesaler is making on the deal? Tell your wholesaler friends to send them to me. I I love it when my wholesalers make money because that means they want to keep doing it. Yeah. One of my favorite borrowers, again, like they, they buy all their stuff from wholesalers. And they've said before, Tammy, I don't care that they're making $20,000. I don't care because I'm still going to make money when I flip this house and I'm going to make more than $20,000. All right, cool. That's a great (laughs) attitude. It has to be a win-win. If you don't have that attitude, you're kind of in the wrong business. It's going to be miserable. Like You got to have the attitude that there are enough houses, there's enough money. Abundance mindset. Yes. I very much try to embrace the abundance mindset and, you know, people always say, well, Hey, you know, I don't, I don't want to ask you to introduce me to people because of the, you know, I don't want you to like train your competition. I'm like, I believe there's more out there. I always give away all my wholesalers. I give away all my lenders. I give away, you know, I created a podcast just so I could give away all the education that we're getting. So I, uh, I certainly give out as much as I can with that abundance mindset. There's not like a limited amount of resources out there. Right. That's great. And that's why you are who you are. <laughs> what would you have done differently if you could start over? Like going back to the beginning, I guess that's just kind of another way of asking, like, what, what advice do you have for beginners? So education. And there's now there's so much free education out there. Your podcast, other podcasts that are out there, listen, 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 listen. You know, some people will say, oh, you should just find a mentor. And I'm sure Sterling people ask you this and they ask me, I'm like, I 
can't have people hanging out with me all day. It's just not, (laughs) it just doesn't work. And, but there are people again, like you and I, that will answer questions for people. And, and if you catch me in my drive time, when I'm going to go check on projects and I'm just going project to project, just doing inspections, I will talk to anybody. If you catch me, right. If you don't catch me at the right time, I just don't answer my phone, but I would say, all the education and numbers, know the numbers. And if you don't know how to do numbers, you need to find somebody who does, who can teach you how to do the numbers. And there are plenty of videos out there on how to evaluate a deal. So you've got to buy right. I mean, you make your money when you make your purchase. And and I know you know that. But if anybody's listening to this and they're like, what do I do is know your numbers, 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 numbers. And if you don't, you do like me, you marry somebody who knows the numbers <laughs> and you let them do the numbers. And then you say, good, that works for me if it works for you. <laughs> awesome. So switching gears real quick, I want to uh, help our listeners just get to know you a little bit better. We have our radio round. What is your favorite book? Okay. So, and I appreciate you prepping me because that's why it's right here. <laughs> So a lot of people have read Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, mm-hmm. but this is Grow Rich with Peace of Mind. He wrote this much later in life, and it has some really valuable life lessons in it that he learned after acquiring wealth. When he wrote Think and Grow Rich, he he wasn't rich. When he wrote this, he was rich. And you're going to have to search for it because I say, I've never heard it was it. old. I have read- it's out of print. I've read several Napoleon Hill books that most people have never heard of. So I read Thinking Grow Rich. I also read, uh, I think it was The Five Laws of Success. Outwitting the Devil was a really good one. And then um, I think I've, I read uh, two books on public speaking that he wrote when I was trying to become a better Oh, yeah. I, I'm with you. I have everything yeah. he's ever he's uh, he's ever done because he's like the original yeah. The original motivational speaker, if you ask me, the original educator. I just listened to Think and Grow Rich again a couple of weeks ago while I was walking on my treadmill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can listen to it over and over and over. Everything in it you learned in kindergarten, but um, you forget. So you need like constant exposure to it. And, you know, there's that book, too. There's that book. Every uh, Everything. There is a book yeah, about yeah, yeah, everything yeah, yeah. I learned in kindergarten. Yeah. Uh, but also... Dennis Kimbrough rewrote Think and Grow Rich for the Black community. So it's called Think and Grow Rich, a Black Choice. Dennis Kimbrough is a professor over in Atlanta, one of the universities over there. Anything Dennis Kimbrough writes is worth reading. And just make sure you have your, back in the day, the dictionary with you because he uses big words. And so you'll be educated on a whole new level when you read that. And that one's also very good. And so that was, people go, oh, did Napoleon Hill write that? No, he didn't write that. That was written in a more contemporary era. And it's, you read that one and you're truly inspired. So yeah, there's a whole library for the summer reading. I'll check it out. What is your favorite quote? All right. You said quote, and I knew I would forget. So (laughs) I, it's on back of my business card. So it's my business card and on back is Psalms 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Nice. 
So that's very appropriate for us. I I love that because God's the original foundation. Absolutely. So what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? I think my first response would be eat. But Chad and I like being outdoors. We do. We haven't done a lot of it. You know, the bike riding, the we enjoy doing stuff outside. I'm not a oh, and we do movies. We are movie people. So that is inside. And the new theaters with the fancy seats are are nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hopefully they didn't go out of business last year. (laughs) I know. I'm still paying my monthly subscription just to maybe my $21 will keep them in business. (laughs) So um, how do our listeners get in touch with you, find out more about your business or reach out to you for a hard money loan? Well, my phone number, I will make public. 225-773-7111. If I'm available, I will pick up the phone. You're never bothering me. You just leave a message and I will call you back because I don't answer my phone if I'm busy, right? Because that's just rude to both parties. And we have a website, but it's very basic. It just says, hey, if you need money, we have money. But that is uh, either Blue Roof Holdings with an S.com, blueroofholdings.com, or batonrougehardmoney.com, batonrougehardmoney. And I'll recommend, don't put roof in the name of your company if you ever (laughs) decide, because I get every call for roofing. And then when there's a storm, they're looking for the blue tarps. (laughs) So. I always think of Santorini when when I hear the name of your company. I'm sure that's probably where you, you got it, huh? No. Santorini. No, I don't even know who that is. Santorini, Greece. It's a, an island with all the white oh. buildings and the blue roofs. Well, you know what? That's probably come up in one of my Google searches somewhere, but I have. I'll yeah, it didn't. To you. I'm sure you've seen it. Okay. Well, Tammy, thank you so much for joining the show. I really appreciate you coming on and covering a topic we, we hadn't really learned about before. And I look forward to things opening back up some more so we can see each other at some more meetups. Yes, I miss seeing you. And I'm so proud of you. You're just, I mean, people are like, oh, do you know Sterling Chapman? So you're the man. All right, thanks. (laughs) Have a great day. All right, honey, thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.